Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Google Play, Apple Store, uh, iTunes and uh, all good app stores and indeed some of the bad ones as well. This is Anthony the Bull Caruso and uh, I can tell you now that having lived through what has probably been the most difficult um six weeks of my life because I've been absolutely no live sports to talk about whatsoever. I thought it might be time to go do a trip around the world. No, I don't mean getting on a plane because uh, that would uh, probably result in me having six months at Her Majesty's pleasure, but instead doing a recording with some of our good friends in the sporting world from around the world. And today we're going to be going off to England to talk about county cricket. So joining us on the line here is two, two mates of the show, came out here to play cricket in Australia about six years ago and they joined us on the show. First off, we do have a very one very special guest with us in particular today. He is a member of the Warwickshire County Cricket Squad, the master blaster himself, Matt Lamb. Good evening to you. Or should it indeed say good morning to you because this is, of course, coming to you in the, in the lovely London morning. Hey, mate. How are you doing? You are? Very good, very good. Whereabouts are you? You're based in the in the middle of Warwickshire these days. Yes, mate. So I am based in Worcestershire, which is um, not, I'd say, about 25 minutes from Birmingham City Centre, um, yep. and about 20 minutes from Edgbaston County Cricket Club um, and the ground we, in which we play at. Oh, mate, must be an absolute dream to be able to just go out for a quick drive, and there's Edgbaston right there. Yes, yes, handy. It's so close. Obviously, you know, I spend a lot of time there training, playing games, etc. So it's, it's it's handy that it's only what 20, 20 25 minutes away. Um, so yeah, the other guest that we've got tonight, uh, tonight, probably one of the craftiest spinners I'd uh, I'd ever come across. Um, a man of many talents, indeed. Is he's now got his own um, political consultancy firm. I need to add in Chris Beaumont Duck. Good morning to you. Hey guys, I think if uh, by crafty you mean doesn't spin the ball and relies on the uh, straight breaks, then yeah, I'll take that. Uh, you spin. I can say this: you spin the more the ball more than Stephen O'Keefe, so you're achieving something <laughs> at this stage. There's a career for me there, then. In, indeed. Now, of course, for yourself, you've um, after going back, you're still playing cricket for Hampstead in the um, in the league competition. You've started your own consultancy as well. Yeah, working in um, political consultancy, that's kind of like my other passion aside from cricket well, and drinking, um, is, is politics. So I uh, did sort of the university thing, got a master's and just sort of had to face the real world, I suppose. I wish I was uh, playing cricket for a living, but sadly, you know, pizza and beer took over me. So uh, it's a real world. Hey, that's not a bad lifestyle to live, I should mention. And for those of you who don't know as well, Chris Beaumont Dark also had his own um, website that he used to contribute to in England called It's Just Cricket, um, where, of course, you went around reviewing, um, not only reviewing, but also talking about, um, I guess, general cricket equipment. So um, are you still involved with that these days? Yeah, it was a pretty good fun. I'm not involved with it anymore. I think, um, obviously, the time when I started getting a, a real job rather than being able to sort of film YouTube videos in the net, that was 
pretty good. I think somehow, I it was actually when I was in, in Sydney, one of the a couple of people recognised me from it, which is crazy. And then there's a few videos now that there's one of me in the nets getting bowled against 99 miles an hour. It's got one and a half million views somehow. So God knows why. But no, that was a good that was a good laugh, and it enabled to me to be a bit of a a kit geek and get paid for it. So it's a win win. Fantastic. Well, t- today's episode is going to be talking about first off, I guess. Get, give people a feel about what the county championship is all about, is all about and also about league cricket. Um, talking about, you know, the experience of going over to, for you guys coming to Australia playing and then obviously talking about what it's going to be like for people if they want to consider going over and playing in England itself. Uh, maybe a quick mention of the Ashes series that's going to be coming up in a not-too-distant future along with the T20 World Cup. And then if we've got time, and I reckon we may do, it will be the return of Drop and Give Me 20. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. You are listening to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at triplehfm.com.au and available to download at podcast.com, Google, Apple, TuneIn Radio app and all good podcast sites. Well, let's get straight into it, um, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking, just go back a little bit to, to 2019 and just look at the county championship as it turned out uh, from last year. And um, I guess, Lemmy, to start off with with yourselves, of course, um, last year finished, despite finishing second um, second last on the ladder, it was very, very, very comfortably ahead of Nottinghamshire and really not many points between yourselves in the top three. No, mate, it's real, real sort of close. Um close table towards the end actually there um, and I think sort of the club itself has been the real transition over the last maybe well, when I first signed three or four years ago um, if you looked at I suppose the average age of our side then um, to what it is now there's far more younger players who play and I'd say the average age has probably dropped um, significantly so it's all about sort of transition um, and I think you know, you know staying staying in Division 1 I think it's a real was a real big achievement that the club managed to achieve last year. Um, like I've said, you know, a lot of young players um, in a very good standard of cricket, um, and I think you know that was probably our main goal. If you asked us at the start of the year, we just wanted to secure um, our position in Division One um, as we look to build with what is a, as I've said before, you know, a, a very young squad. And uh, Chris, going through the of course the cop the championship taken out by Essex, and I believe it was a. Fairly dramatic uh, end of the season, but Essex really positioning themselves as of late as a as a county powerhouse. Yeah, really interesting one actually. Obviously, on that final day, playing on a, uh, a horrible Bunsen burner of a wicket down in Taunton against Somerset, and uh, sort of you know winner takes all style match that was affected by a bit of rain. And then you have the scenes where I think Essex obviously needed a draw and we're going to win and we're, and we're cruising at, I think, 102 for one. And then suddenly we're 140 all out. Uh, Jack Leach taking five wickets, Roloff van der Merwe with four. And I remember watching it, actually, because um, they don't televise many games, but the sort of final games they do. And the wicket was absolutely dreadful. I think even I would manage to spin one on it. You know, they got deducted 24 points because of the state of the pitch and that's the equivalent to one full winning match with bonus points so that shows you how bad it was but yeah a lot of drama and obviously Essex also winning the 2020 championship um, this year as well so uh, a good year for them. Now some notable performances from the uh, the competition and um, there's a couple of names I haven't sort of seen too much and in particular the person who Top the the charts, Lammy. Um, Dom Sibley scoring 13-24 and amazingly ending ahead of 
players that we've actually seen throughout our times, including Gary Ballads, Alastair Cook, and a gentleman who's been to Australia a fair bit and played for Ramwick Peterson in New South Wales Premier Cricket, Daniel Bell Drummond. Yeah, um, you know, all obviously very good players and some established international players. You know, Alistair Cook leading England's leading every run scorer. So for Sibs to score the runs that he did last year um, was absolutely remarkable. And, you know, he's obviously gone on to play test cricket this winter uh, and done really well. Um, mate, you know, a good friend of mine, um, fantastic person first and foremost, but obviously what a cricketer. Um, someone so young to know his game like he does. Um, got incredible patience and sort of sticks to the strengths that that works for him. Um, and I haven't, as like I said, I haven't seen many people at such a young age who know their game inside out and can just and just rely on it to to score runs at the you know the vast rate that he did last year. Now the um, with the ball, um, Chris Simon Harmon Harmer taking eighty three wickets, followed by. Um, I guess it really an evergreen player in Carl Abbott and uh, New Zealand uh, Jitan Patel. Yeah, I mean, just what a word on, on Dom Sibley before I get into bowlers. I think I actually came across him when I was 13 playing in a, a national schools final and you could see the talent when he hooked our pretty pacey opening bowler for sixth first ball. Um, but also I think a real vindication for him because he um, left Surrey where he sort of grew up and played there because he wasn't given the sort of, um, he felt he wasn't given the backing and the guarantees. And so at quite a, a young age to leave what's obviously Surrey, one of the most established counties based in London, to go then and to move completely different to a club, you know, he had no involvement in, and then to go and perform like that and obviously get, make his way deservedly into the England setup and perform well there. Um, a real sort of indication of someone who sort of deservedly believes in their own talents. But, but yeah, in terms of the bowling, I mean, you look at two spinners, Harmer and Patel, both sort of off both know exactly what they're doing. Patel has been around, and Abbott been around forever, and I know Lammy will know Jeets quite well from playing with him at Warwickshire, but, you know, you're looking at counter championships is a strange one because you play a lot, you play blocks. So early in the season, you play a lot where it's pretty difficult for spinners, you know, on a green, uh, on a green wicket in the English kind of uh, spring April, it's, it's built for swing bowlers and seam bowlers, but for spinners to be able to be at the top of the, uh, the table, there's a real sort of testament to the control and the patience that they both have. And then if we go to division two, um, Hassan Azad, um, topping the scores, the batting with 1189 runs, but all the talk, Lammy, of some guy who's brought into the Australian team by the name of Marnus Lovershane. Oh, mate, for just phenomenal. You think he'd come in, talking about international cricket now, come in sort of as a concussion replacement in that Lord's Test to what he's done over the last sort of, what, tw- has it been 12, 18 months? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure his stats, but I think he's averaging something, is 60 plus, I think, in Test match cricket? Um, and however many games he's played, just absolutely phenomenal. And he did obviously did exceptionally well for Glamorgan um, when he was there, scoring um, a shed loads of runs, taking a few wickets. But you just can't knock his what he's done. As I say, the last twelve months he's just phenomenal to come in and sort of dominate really Test cricket against some high quality attacks and score the runs that he has. It's just incredible. And it's really, and it's really a testament. To, I think more than anything else, his work ethic. I mean, we've heard stories when he was at Glamorgan in Queensland, in the Queensland squad, and for the Australian team, his work ethic is second to none there. Well, yeah, you look at uh, you know, I, I haven't really had first-hand experience of seeing it myself, but you watch that the the test that's on um, Amazon Prime, you just see, you, you listen to the lads speak about him, just say how much he loves batting. Um, obviously, very close with Steve Smith, and uh, there's probably no one better to learn off than him. So. 
you know, he doesn't surprise me at all. That he's, you know, he works he clearly works hard and and loves batting. Um, and it's obviously a recipe for success. Now, a couple of other major players in that Warwickshire squad we should mention: um, uh, Ian Bell and Chris Wokes, two very famous names. And of course, you've got the Manly representative and Sydney Thunder representative in Chris Green playing with you. Oh yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal to have. You know, you've got Bell, Belly, um, and. and who have played obviously a lot of games we haven't played as many games with, with Wokesy but obviously when he comes in he's he's magnificent but you know I've, I've, you had the luxury of playing with Bell, Wokes um, Jeets that we've mentioned, we mentioned previously but then also don't forget Jonathan Trott who I played with um, for two or three years before he announced his retirement um, fantastic all four of them fantastic fantastic cricketers wow what, the, what they've achieved in the game is phenomenal um, and I think you know I can't knock that their drive and determination to, to get better. Um, but yeah, also all four of those fantastic international players. Um, and then obviously yeah, Green, like he said, um, who he played with for the first time last year and is hopefully coming back should we get some cricket in to come and captain us, um, captain us this summer. Again, just touching on him, I've, I've never seen someone train as good as, as he does. Um, he's sort of he, the way he trains and he's very specific in how he wants to get better and what he wants to do in a training session is something that struck me and stood out to me um, when he came in so yeah, I think it'd be a really good um, appointment as captain in the T20s for us um, I think he's probably a natural leader speaks very well um, very well in team meetings and very well in team chats after games um, gives his thoughts so I think yeah again I think it'd be brilliant for us should we get some cricket in the summer now, an interesting piece, and I want to get you, uh, your thoughts on it, because over the last 20 years or so, we've really seen a restructure of competition cricket within within England going through multiple um, evolutions. We, I want to go back to the sort of to the 90s, where at one stage, Chris, you know, we're talking about four competitions that was being played, the County Championship, the Sunday League, the, the then known as the Benson and Hedges Cup and the NatWest Trophy. Now, just to give our listeners a bit of an idea about it, you've got the county championship, uh, which is effectively the equivalent in Australia of the Sheffield Shield. Yeah. So, um, but then you've got the NatWest Trophy, which a lot of people in Australia would not have heard of. Do you want to take us through the, what that competition was like? Because it's now been replaced, I guess, to a certain extent by the Royal London One Day Cup. Yeah, so, I mean, English Street has sort of had a real sort of fiddling around with the structure, like you said. We used to have um, a, one, that was a couple of one-day trophies that were 60 overs a side back in the day. Then we had uh, the Pro 40, which was 40 overs in the side. And I think the real sort of issue with those was it, it, it isn't preparing you. I think one of the great strengths of the Australian state, sort of state system is that I think it prepares you really well for international cricket, which is what... I think all county cricket in any country should do. It should prepare players for the sort of their country. But the problem was at one stage we were playing 50 over international cricket, um, but then at a domestic level we were only playing 40 over. So there was no transfer of skills there. So I think what you've seen with those sort of changes that you've alluded to is a real effort to align county cricket with international cricket and to make it much more of a feeder system. So things like even in the county championship, they... Um, they found that a lot of the time teams would just win the toss and bowl first in uh, in the sort of springtime because it was such bowler-friendly conditions. So they did things like they removed the toss from county championship cricket um, to try and make the battle between bat and ball more even and more representative of international cricket. Um, and similarly with the with the 50-over competition, the Royal London one now, um, they sort of mirrors the exact playing conditions of international cricket. 
And I think that one's a really good a good competition, and Matt will be able to sort of uh, speak to this more. But I, I feel like that's a good competition for youngsters to get a look in, because typically, you know, the county championship is for the Red Bull specialists. Um, the T20 competitions are the ones that make the money, so you get the big sort of international names coming in there. Whereas maybe the 50 over comp sort of sits somewhere in between that, and it's a good place to kind of blood youngsters in from the second 11 and things and get them in and around the first team squad. But um, as I said, Matt will know a little bit more than that from seeing it firsthand at Warwickshire. Well, yeah, let's go to that, Matt. I mean, how did you cut your teeth coming into the Warwickshire squad? Because I think you, you spent a few years part of the second 11s for them. Yeah, um, sorry, just, just before I go on to that, touching back to what Chris has mentioned, it's a really good point. And I think with this new competition, the ECB, ECB are bringing in in the 100. Um, I think that was, and I'm not sure whether that will be the case next year, um, was meant to obviously run along alongside the One Day Cup. So I think going back to giving young players opportunity, I think you'll see even, even more of that over the next couple of years um, with yeah a lot more, a lot younger players probably getting an opportunity in One Day Cricket. Um, which I think will be good. Uh, and then going back to myself, yeah, so I started off similar to probably most um, most pros, really. You, you know, you spend a couple of years in the second team where you sort of try and um, develop your game. And, you know, it's obviously a significant step up from second team cricket to first team cricket, particularly in sort of championship. Um, and particularly, I think you, you, you really need to spend some time in the second team to really develop your game um, in all areas. Um, so, yeah, sort of a couple of years in the second team and then... Um, Really sort of played probably in 18. I think I made my debut at 18. Um, I didn't go. That was the year before. I only played one game. I think there was only two or three games left of that season. And then I sort of played maybe seven or eight the following summer. Um, I've been a little bit in and out, I'd say, over the last three or four years. Um, sort of played a bit and then, you know, been dropped. And it's, I sort of, yeah, haven't really been settled, I wouldn't say. Um Again, all, you sort of had some 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 real good times, and I'm obviously hope to find maybe a little bit more consistency in in the first team spot. Well, this summer should be played, but maybe maybe next summer, um, depending on what happens. But so yeah. Now, one of the other one of the other things that we need to sort of tell a bit about the um, the county championship is that um, yeah, if we're making comparisons with Australia, you have you have the two oldest traditional rivals in the competition, I think, which, up, which would be more up north, your Lancashire versus your Yorkshire. And, I mean, that's been that's been going for as long as the rivalry has in Australia between New South Wales and Victoria. But there was a phase, I think, where out of the blue you had Warwickshire absolutely dominate, especially in the 90s, um, getting the – I think you won the Triple Crown in 1994, and it was an, an amazing lineup. And I don't know – if some of these names that really come out of this is just amazing. The team captain by Dermot Reeve, um, they had Gladson Small, Ashley Giles, they were coached by the late great Bob Walmer, and some guy named Brian Lara in the lineup. Um, yeah, you, you know, obviously, being at Warwick, that that sort of era and that era of players gets talked about a lot, and rightly so for what they achieved. But like you just said there, the players and sort of the had and, and throughout that squad, throughout that squad, um, was just phenomenal. And I think if you speak to any, because you know, we have a couple of our coaches who were around in this time, I think if you speak to them, they play a lot of homage to to um, to Bob Warmer, saying he sort of really, really revolutionised um, the game. I think and there was a big change in professionalism, so I think he probably gets a lot of credit for for what they achieved in '94. But yeah, it's, it's just an amazing achievement. Um, to win sort of three trophies in one season, 
don't actually think it's been done since. Um, so yeah, just just fantastic. And as you say, we, we do sort of a few of these guys come in and speak to us uh, maybe at pre-season just to give us a chat and give us some insight to how they achieved it really and what they did. It's just it's just remarkable. Well, take take Brian Lara, Chris. Um, you know, he came back for that um, bushfire bash that was played um, earlier this year, and he hadn't pl- picked up a bat in apparently a number of years. And watching him play in that game, it's like he'd never left. Yeah, I did catch some of the highlights of that, and it's just you can see the talent there. And I think that Warwickshire side was just brimming with talent. I think it's also worth saying out of the four competitions, they almost. Um, won all four. They lost in the final of the National West Trophy, so they weren't far off from doing, from winning everything. But I mean, you look at you know Lava. You get told these things, and my dad sort of always tells me fondly um, him sort of leaving work and jumping on a motorcycle to go to Edgbaston when Lava scored that ridiculous 501 not out, and they um, threw open the gate for free um, for people when it was getting clear that he was, you know, 400 and something and he was still going and people kind of flocked in from, from Birmingham all from work. It's not far from central Birmingham and just sort of went to go and watch this ridiculous thing. And of course the stupid thing about that was he scored them in, in no time as well. And I can't remember exactly, but he scored them in less than well over a run of balls. So yeah, I mean that team, I know even when I was growing up in the, in the junior setup with Warwickshire, that team was held as the kind of gold standard and, quite rightly they weren't expected to win I think I was reading something earlier that they were 25-1 outsiders to win the championship and they they cruised it they won it by 42 points which is an absolute you know country mile so yeah that that was really sort of the golden era for Warwickshire cricket I suppose let's let's go to the league cricket side and um Chris to bring you in 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 particular here so we got one of the guys from our show Matt Mears who's had experience for about three, four years going over to England and playing for a club called Effingham in the Surrey League. Um, now, league cricket based on are based on the county, similar to how county cricket is based. Uh, county cricket is the equivalent of the states. Now, you play for uh, you've been playing for Hampstead in the um, in the Middlesex League, and uh, I believe your main team finished second last year to North Middlesex. So it was a very strong year for the club. Yeah, I mean, I've been there now. 2013 so one of the sort of longest tenured members there because you've got to remember being in central London you get quite a lot of churn of people's lives moving in and out but yeah last year was um, recently introduced I think two or three years ago a format where we don't play like you guys across the weekends we play um, 50% of our games are 50 over cricket so coloured kit pink ball fielding restrictions all so you know just the same as a one day international and then the other half of the games you play 120 overs in a day, so <laughs> it's a long day. Um, and the first team can bat for up to 66 overs, and then the other team goes after that. So you get a position where you can get winning draws and losing draws, um, and it all gets a bit technical. But it, certainly I know that that change has been welcomed, and we've been, we've been quite lucky. I mean, I've won two titles in 2013 and 2015, um, and the club hadn't won one before. I'm not saying I contributed much to those, but they were some, some really good sides and some, some good memories, and now we're into the... I don't know, I certainly, I welcome the one-day games a lot more on a Saturday. And I know when, Matt, you play a bit of, uh, when you get in league cricket as well, you probably enjoy those games too. Yeah, similar to you, we played so half half our games are just, just one-day cricket, 50-over um, coloured kit, and then slightly different. We play 55-overs each. So, um, yeah, so just 55. But again, very technical in winning draw, losing draw. There's so many different point systems depending on, percentage of runs scored and it's a very long and winded long winded um, system but yeah so that's what we do so we play as I say half the games 50 over and um, half the games 
um, timed, really, I suppose. And really, the charm, the charm of the um, the league matches is uh, often experienced with just being able to go around, hang out for a day for free at a ground, and you know the the old, almost the old traditions of what cricket used to be like. Um, Couple of volunteers in the um, in the pavilion, maybe doing a lovely spread for uh, for afternoon tea. Um, been able to sit, relax, almost with a newspaper while there's a while there's a game happening. And these would be in sort of village green locations. Some of the games. Yeah, as we, like you know, obviously I play a lot of my time is dictated by Warwickshire, but I do try and play um, Saturday cricket when I can. Um, and mate, just for that, just for what you said there, just really interesting point, and it's so true. Like I just play because I actually really enjoy it. Um, you know, I've been at the club Barn Green. I've been at there since I was sort of ten years old. Um, it's just like you touched on. It's just a different characters you've got in the dressing room. You know, the banner that goes on around the lads. It's just a real sort of fun day out. And it's it's for, for me. I, I'm a, you know, people are working. It's the same. You have that same sort of pressure at work, whether that be professional cricket or whatever job you do. I just think it's nice on a Saturday to go and play, have a bit of fun and, you know, obviously you want to win, don't get me wrong, but it's sort of pressures off a little bit and you just go out and enjoy it and enjoy your sort of day. Uh, I'm not sure if that sort of resonates with Chris or... Yeah, definitely. And I think the main kind of, the main difference I'd say to what we play with us, just in terms of the grounds, it's all privately owned grounds here. Um, so generally the sort of standard of it, certainly um, I having played in the same league Matt did when I was growing up and now in the, the Middlesex League in London, you get these sort of Im- some immaculate grounds and we play on a few grounds that, um, that Middlesex use as well. So um, it's just a really good sort of way to play and a bloody good standard of cricket as well, for sure. Um, and you get to play against some players who, you know, have played international and stuff. So it's, something, it's definitely something to, to look forward to. And well, that is until you get, you know, none for 50 and get bowled first ball. But still, you try and have fun anyway. <laughs> Well, uh, what we'll do very soon is that we'll uh, we'll take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about your your both of your experiences playing in Australia, and then we're going to get into drop and give me twenty. You are listening to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H one hundred point one FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au, available for download at podcast.com, and on Google, Apple, TuneIn Radio, all good app stores, of course. How can we forget? But we do this all, of course, for Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Splinters, the Bench Podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com. Google Play, Apple Store, and uh, tune in a radio app and all good podcast sites and do something bad. And of course, we do it all for Magpies Waitara, the action attraction of the North Shore. We are doing our special on county cricket with our special guests, Matt Lamb and Chris Beaumont Dark. And uh, we're going to talk, we're going to flip it now a little bit and talk about sort of your experience when you came over to um, Australia a few years ago. Um, we spoke about sort of what, what could be expected in store for Australians who were interested in going over and playing cricket in England. Now we want to talk about the other way and what giving a bit of a taste of what it could be like for the Poms when they come over to Australia. And both of you, of course, played a year with Baringa Cricket Club. Lamy, I think you came back afterwards and played another season. Um, but it was a very much a learning time for both of you. First experience away from home in another country altogether. Yeah, yeah um, I'm a- do you want to go? You go, Chris. Go on, 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, certainly my, my liver got a good uh, kicking when we were out there, but um, I'd recommend it to absolutely anyone. I mean, I was a young, no, still young and naive, but certainly even more so young and naive, kind of 18-year-old going out there and, you know, just doing things like getting a getting a job in a country that, you know, you've no idea how all that works, learning out how to, you know, pay broadband and get furniture for your flats and things. It was a real kind of, as much as it was for the cricket, I, I really felt like I was prepared for sort of, doing pretty much anything and becoming a lot more independent when I was out there and obviously big shout out to everyone at Warringah including yourself um, Crusoe who really made us feel straight away at home made us feel welcome and helped us out with absolutely everything I don't think I could have sort of had such a good I wouldn't have had anywhere near such a good time without that real community support but the first thing to say would I would be 100% recommend it to anyone listening who wants to go over to England to do it or anyone wants to go to Australia to do it I think you learn so much more than just the cricket. I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. I don't know about you, Matt. Yeah, listen, um, probably a very different trip then than if I was to come out now. Um, a little <laughs> bit older, listen, we was 18 years old, all living together in, in a garage, our own house. It was, yeah, what a lot of fun, great experience. Um, reiterate what Chris said there, the club were brilliant with us, to be fair, and especially yourself, you know, looked after us well. We'd come around your house for dinners, and the boys are really sort of welcoming to us, which which we can only be thankful for. Um, but yeah, Chris is spot on. I think when you go out and I have this chat with a lot of the lads um, at Warwickshire and any young sort of cricketer um, who wants to go out, I think it's brilliant. Not you, you say, I don't always think it's necessarily for the cricket. Yes, you want to try and yes, you want to win games and yes, you want to do well. But it's also about, you know, like Chris has touched on there, just that life experience of if you're living on your own, you've got to, to be fair, Chris sorted the whole, all the house out for us, how you go about doing that, how you pay rent, like how you the rents, the direct debits, the internet, getting a job, having to cook for yourself, how to do the washing machine. I wasn't even, didn't even know how to do that when we first went out. <laughs> um, so it's just a massive, yeah, massive learning experience in life, really. Um, and again, like the friendships you meet, you know, you still keep in touch with, with a few of the lads and it's just that sort of family feel that if you go to a good club, um, you know, and like, like Ringo was, they really do spend time looking after you and it, it makes it a lot easier. Well, you'd be saying it was all fun and games for you guys until you got into my car on any of the trips out to the ground. So, um, <laughs> but um, look, it's a, a, one of the things I've, we've often heard from a couple of the English guys who come over and play, and we've certainly had a chat with Daniel Beldrum and uh, Zach Crawley's another one who, um, who came out here and played. And we also, we've even had Mason Crane um, when he was playing for Gordon, sort of talking about his experience. And he says the you hear the stories about what it's like sometimes playing in Australia and you hear that they play very hard, very, you know, very mentally tough, sometimes could be a bit physically tough, not directly, but sort of indirectly a little bit. But you don't learn about the compadre in the change rooms, the fun you can actually have, and then the, the fun on the circuit that everyone gets to after the game. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely. I, I think that, you you know, I was a bit of a, a strutting 18-year-old kid and so I was cut down to size quite fairly enough when I played a few games. Um, you know, trying to reverse sweep my first ball for four. I think I learned some new words when that happened. Um, but then, absolutely, we were really lucky because we obviously played Frank Gray's, um, Frankie's on a Sunday as well. So we'd be out, you know, on a Sunday after the game and stuff. So it was great fun. And like I said, that compadreship, we couldn't have done it without it. Yeah, um, real tough, tough, tough cricket out there. Um, I think I would say from my own personal experience, probably get, you know, sledged a lot more over in Australia than I probably do playing league cricket here. Um, 
but yeah, like like I said, you, you, it doesn't. It all depends on the club you've got and the people you've got at your club. We was obviously very fortunate with a great set of lads at Baringa. Um, and you, you know, it makes that camaraderie, and especially after the games. You know, I, I was really surprised at how many people were keen to stay and. You know, even if you just have one beer, but you just sit around and talk a bit about cricket or you talk a bit about what's going on in life. Um, you know, that's you know, everyone always says that's where you, you know learn a lot in the bar. Um, speaking about cricket, especially to older players who've been around and, and had a lot more experience than you have. Um, but I, yeah, I found that really sort of. Um, I thought it was really good from the Ringer boys. They was always sort of keen to stay back behind after the games, and we obviously had that Prezo night after the game, after the second week of a game, which I've always thought was really good. So I think yeah, the, the camaraderie and atmosphere amongst amongst the lads is, is crucial. I think uh, we will, we won't go into too much more of it because it'll lead into the time of what we're going to be doing doing next. Of course, anyone knows that uh, whenever we do a debut these days for anyone on the show, of course, this is their second time on the show, but uh, we haven't been able to do this to them yet. It's a segment we love to do. Chris Beaumont Dark, Matt Lamb, are you ready to drop and give us 20? Yeah, sure. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get straight into it. So, question number one for both of you gentlemen What is your original home club? Storage Cricket Club. Aunt Green Cricket Club. Aunt Green. And your home t- number two, your hometown hero. Hometown hero. I'd say there's a guy called, uh, I mean, Go on, Lammy, you go. I'm going to say it's some Wolverhampton, technically where I was born, Steve Bull. Yeah. yeah. Wolves legend, mate. Wolves legend. Very good. I'd say sticking on a cricket team, there was a guy called Dave Ball, who I know plays at Northern Districts and Aussie, um, who I learned a lot under when I was 13, 14, first coming into league cricket. And I know he still goes out and plays quite a lot for NDs. So I'd, I'd go with him. Yep. Um, First, so for Lammy, your first competition century. Chris, your first competition Fifa. I oh, my first century was for Barnt Green, four for leather. Actually, no, that's a lie. Sorry, I got one for school. I'm not sure this counts because it wasn't men's cricket, but <laughs> I think I got one for Barnt Green under 11s against one of the local private schools. And I got 180. 180 cop that mate. It, it, it was a postage stamp mate so I'm not sure that counts <laughs> yeah. my first my first proper shot I'd say proper hundred was for the Barn Green 4 11 versus First five, um, again, sticking with Lappy, sort of junior cricket one, I bowled in a T20 competition when I was about 10, I bowled four overs, six wickets for one run, and the run was an overthrow, so I was fuming. Um, <laughs> but probably, I don't know, men's cricket, I think I got, for Dodge seconds, I got five for 70-odd against, um, I can't remember who it was against now, and I think most of them were stumped off a wide, but they all count, I suppose. They do, they do indeed. Um, gentlemen, easy one for you, hopefully, the most memorable on-field moment. Uh, I'd have to say I'm a bit cliche. I'd have to say my first 100 for Warwickshire, first team. Yeah, I, mean, I can't, can't beat that. Um, I think first ever season for Hampstead where we won the league, um, we cruised it, and the club hadn't won the league in ever for 100 and something years, and we won that. So that was quite a very good feeling. Now, uh, your most embarrassing on field moment? Um, I think I've got I'd a really... good one on that. Yeah, I'd have, like, 
pretty funny moments. We played a second team game against Kent um, down at Beckenham. Anyway, I'm mid on, and the ball, um, the ball's got hit the six. So big ground at Beckenham. It's sort of uh, as it went past the boundary, it's like a little, went up the hit, like up this little ditch and back down. Anyway, so I run over, sprint to sort of get the ball. Um, and at the back, of, at the bottom of the little ditch, um, there's cow manure, and the ball is just placed right in the centre of this manure. <laughs> so I've run over there, and I just think the manure is rock hard. So I've just dived in with, like, with my. So I've just stepped into it, thinking it's rock hard. I can pick the ball up, mate. Obviously, I'm wearing white, white, um, white bottoms. The manure was all uh, both over, all over my legs, up to my knees. So I actually had to pick the ball up. Like I've launched it back to the lads. Everyone's on the floor wetting themselves. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris, tell me you got a better one than that. No, I can't match. I can't quite match any of that. But no, I think actually one out in a when I was playing for Ringer, played for the first team, um, and you know I got promoted to that number four, and I was giving it sort of everything. I went out with a cap and you know all of this, and I was I think I was sledging them more than they were sledging me while I was batting, and I have a habit of hitting everything over mid wicket, and so the bloke was bowling little away swingers to a left hander like me, and I just hit him for a couple of fours over mid wicket, and then giving him a lot of chat when he tried to say anything to me. He goes and puts a deep mid wicket out. And I think the very next ball, I hit it exactly straight to him and he hasn't had to move an inch. And I've just stood there looking like an absolute mug after giving them loads. And fair to say, I, I copped a good send-off. Oh, that would have been so good. Um, so, who did you grow up supporting? Now, we're going to do this for your main sport and any other sport you're interested in. Um, football, I supported Wolverhampton Wanderers. It's my team of choice. Um, and cricket, I'm fortunate enough that I did support Warwickshire, so yeah. actually worked out quite well. Chris? Yeah, yeah, cricket the same. Um, we grew up, Matt and I, that's how we became really good mates, through the Warwickshire junior system. So um, definitely Warwickshire for that. Football, I, I didn't get into football until recently. I'm a big Chelsea fan, but then my other big sport is American football. I'm a big New York Giants fan, so that was my other love as a kid. Well, all I have to say at the moment is you're both disgraces in terms of football clubs because the only team we're supporting <laughs> is, uh, is clearly Southampton. And all I have to say to you is Danny Inks was recently caught um, phoning Cristiano Ronaldo asking for his crown back. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone all right. Okay. Um, you claim to fame off-field. Now, I think, Chris, we've mentioned about your, your side. You've got aspirations to get into politics. <laughs> yeah, maybe the sort of backroom shady politics. I've probably got too many skeletons in my closet most of them from Australia actually to be, to be a frontline politician <laughs> um, something some for a late night podcast maybe but yeah uh, maybe my plain fame would be that, um, that YouTube video from It's Just Cricket with one and a half million views probably Lammy what about you? Oh, clowns of fame off the park um, man, that's a real some of your behaviour in there some of your behaviour yeah. in the eyes on a Saturday night could be a claim no, to I was say. Say, I think I think I've got to be careful what I say here to be honest <laughs> Have <laughs> we passed the watershed, or? Yeah, well, it's, it's, this this issue this usually goes on after eight pm, so you might be able to get away with it a bit more. Oh, mate, I don't know. Like, I haven't got anything sort of as such, but some of the nights that me and Chris and one of the friends who lived out in Manly was surely I've got to get a, got to be in there at some stage. Now, of course, we do need to mention as well that you, you actually we do have one claim to fame for you is of course your cousin is one of the members of the bench and splinters. Yes, yes, he is. I, was, I should have got him on, really. Um, yeah. But, yeah, he, so he obviously yeah, he played at Warringah, didn't he, for a few years. I'm not sure that he's playing there now. 
Um, but yes, wow. I know he's real keen on his old uh, on his radio stuff, which is good. Yeah, the cousin that those you haven't worked it out, uh, the Canberra kid himself, Jake Aquilina, is um, cousins with Matty Lamb. So uh, have at you, indeed. Now, gentlemen, a good one to, to think about here. Three sports stars to have dinner with and why? Good question, that. I would I go... Go on, Lammy, you go. I'd go David Beckham. Like, good-looking lad, just absolute legend. What a player, what a footballer. I'd go Tyson Fury. Absolute character, winner. Love to get a few of his stories and get inside the head. Um, and on a similar note, I'd probably go Roy Keane as well for the same reasons. Big, big Roy Keane fan. Um, but really interested to see like what how his mental side of the game and why he achieved so much as a player. Tough act to follow that. I'd go uh, big Chelsea fan, obviously. So I'd go Frank Lampard now, being a manager as well. You could pick that side of his brains. I'd go with a slightly out of the box one. Um, Zafa Anzari was in England, uh, well, for Surrey, and then he played a couple of test matches for England and then um, sort of retired from the game at age 23, 24 because, you know, he got a double first degree from Oxford University, one of the most intelligent men by all accounts you'll ever meet. And so I think it'd be really interesting to sort of like pick his brains on what he thought about cricket, why he left cricket, and just sort of talk life and politics and whatever. Um, and then I'd probably bring Lance Armstrong because he could bring the juice to keep the party going, couldn't he? So. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy now which sport do you think the world could do without him why Chris with you first well, I'll tell you what I'll tell you what some Saturdays after I've been smashed all over the ground I think it's cricket um, <laughs> I don't know that's which... tough actually I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a fan of all sports to be fair so I think that's a rough one I mean I never yeah which sport did I never really get into I mean you look at some of these things like that, that sort of presented as sports like snooker but I still like a good game of snooker that's not really a sport men's volleyball I'll say that men's beach volleyball we could do without yeah I agree it's sort of like it's one of those oh, like Chris I'm a big fan of most sports it'd be one of yeah it'd be one of those sorts of things they class the sport which probably technically isn't like I don't know water polo or something like that that just doesn't really get much recognition on the telly <laughs> so I've never uh, really got into that what do you think, starting with Lammy, what do you think is the biggest issue facing sport or in particular cricket today? Um, I, and let's, let's put COVID-19 aside. I think cricket in particular is the sort of lack of um, support really for champ, county championship cricket. I mean, it's probably the same in Sheffield Shield that the, you look at the crowds and I know Australia are playing massive stadiums so it doesn't do any favours, but even with us, yeah, there's not loads of people that come and watch our four-day cricket. And obviously, that's the sort of heartbeat and stepping stone into Test Match cricket, which is the pinnacle of, of the game, really. So, I, yeah, I'm not, you know, the dying art, really, of supporters at county cricket. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of chat um, about whether they make five-day tests into four-day tests to try and encourage slightly sort of quicker play, almost. Um but yeah, for me, I'd still stick with the five-day stuff. It's the purest format of the game. It's the best format. Um, but yes, I need to obviously address what they're going to do there to try and encourage more people to go and watch. And Chris? Yeah, I had two actually, and Matt took one of them, so that's good. Um, I just said the two were support and participation. So Matt obviously took support. I think participation, certainly in England, is a massive thing. Um, load of kit. And I mean, you know, cricket takes a whole day out of your time. And when you're a teenager, we see a massive drop-off in playing. 
So what is it that you can do to make avoid losing those players? And the second one linked to that is participation and representation, because in England, cricket is still quite a posh, upper middle class white game played by private schools. So what are you going to do to make more, you know, for example, more Asian and South Asian people playing cricket for England? What are you going to do to encourage people from non-traditional private school backgrounds to play? And so with that, I think ECB's done really well. The English Cricket Board, you've got players like Amoin Ali and El Rashid coming through who are used as role models. But And they really have put a, a sort of a launch and a real focus on um, getting people from Asian and South Asian backgrounds to, to play more because you do need to you know people can only be what they can see so if you can see more players from sort of more diverse backgrounds coming through you're more likely to inspire people to continue that sort of conveyor belt so hopefully if we can broaden the base that appeals to the cricket and take them from games like football then i think that will stand the game in good health going forward how do you kill time during the off season chris with you eating probably quite a lot at the moment um <laughs> yeah i think I think I try and stay busy watching a lot of cricket. I find, um, you know, from I try to stay in touch with the Big Bash and things like that. Um, I, you know, I'm busy at work and things like that and, and getting big into football now, um, obviously with, with my, my Chelsea lot. So, you know, and I, I try and keep my mind as sharp as possible, reading, debating, arguing with people probably, and then and drinking is another one. So, yeah, that probably explains my rig at the moment. Um, yeah, similar to Chris, definitely watching football um, in the winter. Um, something I've always been keen to do, but mate, obviously we we sort of sort of when our season finishes, which is um, end of September, we have about six weeks off, um, and then we so like after that sort of six weeks, we're back in training, doing a bit of fitness, obviously hitting a few balls, getting prepared, guys, for for April. Some would say it's the longest pre-season in sport, but you know that's just that's what it is. So just yeah, I'm not really don't really have much time away from cricket really. I suppose we just have the six weeks we're off, and then as I say, back to back to sort of hitting hitting balls and, and doing some fitness. Um, starting off with Maddie, um, your biggest influence on your sporting career? Um, biggest influence? I know it's real, real token and real cliche, but you'd actually say family, wouldn't you? Just for pure, especially maybe my granddad in particular, he'd often take me to training, um, take me to games, mum and dad were at work. So I, just, I know it's a real cliche thing to say, but you know, they've put a lot of time and effort um, into taking me to training, shipping me to games. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd have to say that really. Um, I mean, I could answer Matt's granddad actually. He was an, you know, an influence <laughs> on my career. I just caught up with him on the phone earlier this week. He's a fantastic role model to copy. I mean, I'll go obviously with your family, you know, who give you that love for cricket. And I remember the day I was first introduced to cricket. Um, but I'll say a completely different player who I've always tried to model myself on was Daniel Vittori. I think I've always wanted to be a left-arm spinner who bats number eight, and that's probably ambitious. I'm a left-arm slow bowler who bats number nine, but um, I'd say in terms of someone to look up to when I was sort of 12, 13, 14, and, and try and emulate those skills and the way he went about the game and try and be, I've always tried to be an intelligent cricketer and, and probably haven't been, but, you know, going and trying to have something to follow, I think was a real influence on me. And... Uh... Your pre-match and post-match rituals. I'm a real stickler for getting to the game early, um, really early. I have to get all my kit unpacked out of my kit bag in the corner, have a real kind of um, a little zone to myself. Um, quite a big music person in the changing room. Uh, post-match, 
I don't really mind. Um, good team shower after the game is always important. Um, and then, then get on the circuit, I suppose. Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, some sort of routine. Obviously, we have, you have to, we get, I get to the ground quite early myself. Usually, I have something to eat. Um, but yeah, you know, I just have a sort of have a net before we use those sort of side arms, which is something I always like to do before the game. Um, I do have a set sort of routine, like a stretching routine, where I follow the same sort of stretches. Um, it lasts about maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, and in terms of superstitions, not really a massive superstition man. Probably put my left pad on first. It's something I've always done. Um, but there's something that I don't, yeah, don't really have any real superstitions. Um, and I agree with Chris after the game. It's, I don't really have any. Maybe have a beer with the lads to celebrate someone's successes. or But that's about it. So now's, now's the time we've all been waiting for here. Who's, the biggest, who's been the biggest pest in your sporting career? I'd have to say Chris there, I think. <laughs> I've been with I've played with, with, with Chris for 10 years. Can't, like, you've got to remember, lad, lad loves to talk and sometimes you're not always in the mood to chat. So, <laughs> lad just don't shut off. Honestly, mate, we've had 10 years of reckon play together and as I say, there's times where, you know, you might have got out for no runs or you might have bowled poorly or just not in the mood and all you can hear is him blabbering on about politics or sport or who's done that or who's done this. It's got to be Chris, I think. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I remember when I was 14 on my first team debut in men's league cricket, first team, and one of our openers, who was playing a bit of counter cricket at the time, had, had left the straight one and got bowled. And, you know, and I was enthusiastic. And as he walked up the stairs, I was just going, oh, did he do a bit? Um, which <laughs> didn't go down, didn't go down very well. I think my biggest test would be, I think some of the guys I've played with, um, in the nets, I played um, my first year at Hampstead. I played with Ben Scott, who was a wicketkeeper for a long time for Worcestershire, Middlesex, sorry, played for England Lions, sort of the England A team. Um, and bowling to him as a sort of 15 year old kid, he's a little lad, a wicketkeeper, and so anything you drop short, any sort of change in length was punished. But I think I came through it because it made me a much better player. But um, also say Lammy because we used to play on opposite teams in trial matches and he would always get out the over before I came on to bowl. So I don't know whether he, was, he didn't, fancy, didn't fancy hitting me, but I never bowled to him, I don't think, in a proper game because he'd always managed to get out. Uh, the funniest moment on a field involving a teammate. Chris, you first. Oh, wow. The funniest moment on a field involving a teammate. Now, now, as you, now you start throwing, now you really start throwing people under the bus. I think one actually might be involving me in a team, man. I have to throw myself under the bus. It being, it was the first league game, first league game of the season, um, and you know, I'd, I'd wintered well, shall we say? I think it's my first year at university, so you know, you put on a fair bit of weight because all you're doing is drinking and partying. And it was a hot day, an unusually hot day, and we were batted at number eight, and we were racking up the runs. And I, I sort of came in and last few overs of the 50 over game, and I was trying to hit everything, and I just couldn't hit anything out of the middle. Um, just couldn't hit anything and we kept sort of hitting it plonking it into the outfield and at one stage i think we were running a three and i officially got lapped by my teammate when we were running a three so that was um that was pretty good and i i, I copped a fair bit of stick for that for sure deservedly so yeah getting lapped while running is probably the worst or the funniest one um i had a game so i reckon i'd be young here maybe 14 at the time second team game um I can't remember who he was playing against, but the batter was kept asking for the side screen to be moved constantly, maybe you know, after every ball. Um, sorry, after every a couple of balls, constantly moving. It wasn't right. 
Um, and I think our captain at the time said, was just asked the umpire in sort of probably worse phrases than this, but mate, is there any chance, you know, we can't keep moving the side screen. If you got times, you got time, you got a bowl of 50 overs in. So he kept, kept moving it. Anyway, um, he come, so yeah, he asked it again for the final time and a captain who remained nameless at the time has gone ballistic. And the umpire at the, at the striker's end has said to him, mate, who's took the jam out of your donut? And this guy, uh, the captain's gone, he started, he started to begin, I'll effing kill ya. <laughs> Jesus! Yeah. It was, it was incredible, like, at the time. It was just got a massive ding-dong. Um, it was just, yeah, I've never seen anything quite like that on a, on a cricket field before. Obviously, I was young at the time as well. I didn't really know what to, what to say. Wow. Oh, that, that, is, that escalated That escalated quickly. That escalated yeah. very quickly. Um, which teammates have the best and worst chat? Oh, I might be up there for worst chat. I'm probably up there for worst chat. I think you and I, I think you and I are in the same league here, Chris. It's not easy. Yeah, it's Chris, you, so you, you must be at worst. You say enough chat. I always thought Chris's chat was all right, to be fair. He was obviously intelligent, wasn't he? He was quick-witted, so he, he could come back with replies quite quickly. Um, I'm trying to think. Mate, do you know, like, I think, like, at our level, I'm not sure it's a like, yeah. Professionally, you don't really get like any like a lot of the chat is actually quite serious, but it um it, it's more like in, a lot of it about your technique or I don't know, do you know what I mean? It might be like oh, your head's falling over a little bit, and it's a lot of little things, that, but it does make you think like is my head actually falling over? Do you know what I mean? So the chat is probably a lot less like abusive to a degree, but more sort of technical and actually makes you think, and then you're worrying about your own sort of technique and your own game rather than it being real abusive, if that makes sense, or funny. Um, in terms of best chart, I played with a wicketkeeper who played a bit semi-professional, Matt, uh, Matt Martin, him, a guy called Ollie, Ollie Steele, and we were playing a game away in the league, a real tense one, we were going for the league title, and we'd been, you know, um, and we were, we were dominating the game, trying to get that last wicket on a real Bunsen burner, I kept beating the edge, and there was tension, I think they'd scored a run for about seven overs, and then I've, I've bowled an absolute rank half volley that he smashed before, and you know, the tent, the pressure's absolutely gone, it's gone completely silent, and everyone else has gone, come on, Chris. And then the wicketkeeper just got, he's a keeper, and he's gone, come on, Chris, keep bowling the nice half volleys, Meddy. <laughs> Which is kind of, um, you know, some of the best chat like that is the ones where you just get absolutely ruined by your own teammate. Oh. Like, he, he I did have, I did have that. one, actually. My, my brother put, come out with a real good one again in the second team game. I was only young at the time, and he was bowling. My brother bowled some real filthy seed. Anyway, he kept bowling with this lad and he kept playing and missing, kept playing and missing, kept playing and missing. And obviously, guys get me straight. And he, my brother's a big lad, big, big lad. And he just goes, he bowls his ball, plays and missing. My brother says to him, Am I tits putting you off? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, one of the best, one, that's one of the better ones I've heard, to be fair. Oh. <laughs> if ever I get a chance, I've done a post with um, with Cricket Sydney of the day that Tim Burke dropped an absolute nailer when we're playing against Auburn, uh, making a reference to a certain um, found to be corrupt local mayor of uh, Auburn uh, turning up to a random game. And, and Chris and Matt will, will attest to this that it could only be someone like Tim Burke who would pull a line out like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had quite a few, uh, quite a few one-liners, didn't he? Yeah. Um, best and worst teammate on the circuit. Very important. This very important. Great question. That. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd say Matt's the best on the circuit, just because we did yeah, it so I, often. I, listen, listen. I wouldn't. I would not turn that into arrogant. But I reckon if you asked a few of the boys, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the best, but I'd say I'm, I'm definitely up there. Um, <laughs> Great his own work. Mate. I love it. Just play with a few, like. <laughs> 
few lads who are always always keen for uh, for not out on circuit. Um, so I don't know what worst. Mate, you not. Uh, I always get it. Like you know, after team nights out, I, I always think you know if you've got if you've got young kids and you, you know you've got a family, you, I, I do get that you, you're probably not going to come out. You might stay for maybe one drink, but I, I, I still do sort of you know accept that you them them older lads who maybe as I say got young kids, they're probably yep. not going to come out. Yeah, so uh, go nail nail someone to the wall who should be doing better, should uh, clearly be doing better. Who should come out more? Someone has got absolutely no excuse. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Look, why uh, you think of that? I got a Chris. Yeah, I mean, probably I, I don't know. Best would be just because of how often we we circled uh, Lamy. We used to go out, you know, relentlessly. I think it came to a stage where we were playing Frankies on a Sunday um, for Ringo, and we had to be at the ground for I don't know nine. And it got to a stage where Ethan, the captain that year, would send someone to pick us up at eight thirty and wake us up at eight thirty to make sure we were at the ground. <laughs> um, and we'd always have to stop off our McDonald's. That meant we were late quite a lot. That, those are some good circuits, and I've seen some. Sites I wouldn't want to see again with Matt on a Saturday night. But worse, I mean, there's a few guys at my club who, you know, I mean, my club's brilliant because it's incredibly cheap beer, like half price to what you pay in any pub in London. So we end up going quite big there, and then people just sort of sneak off, um, sneak off home. So there's a few. Um, I, I name one who's a good mate of mine, Jack Bidolf, who uh, used to offer a lot, but now he's got a missus and sneaks home. So we could do with seeing him out on the circuit a bit he more. Does, he does a complete Harold Holt, does he? Uh, well, yeah, he just nips off home, doesn't he? He lives yeah. right by the ground, so he just escapes. This is a yeah, like a, few of those who just, a few of those who just go and just disappear, like smoke bomb before <laughs> you even know it, they've gone. But surely just going back to Ringo, got to be Rhodes, Rosie, innit? As best on the circuit after that. He was a good, he night, was good value. One of, the, one of the great nights I've ever had. Oh, he, he's an absolute, he's an absolute fiend. Rosie, so. <laughs> oh, actually, on the thing of Ringo on the circuit, the uh, the Sunday, we, we didn't actually win, Frankie, but we still had a big Sunday night out. We went to a club in King's Cross. It was absolutely empty. Um, Ethan goes to the toilet to get, come, you know, normal jeans and a shirt, whatever, comes back in and he's, he's in his full Ringo greens on the dance floor. And we're the only people on the dance floor. It's absolutely dead. And, you know, a few drinks have been spilt or whatever, and, and there's someone cleaning up, and we've got a warning from the staff, you know, you can't keep spilling drinks, they're going to kick you out. I turn round to see Matt pouring an entire pint over his head in the middle of the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we all got kicked one, out. That was one of the better nights like that. Oh, that could only be Rosie. It could only be Rosie. Your biggest rival. Now, it could be, you know, it could be a friendly rivalry or it could be someone you've got personal black, bad blood with. Um, I've got one, who, like, he, he used to play for us. He was one of my best friends at Warwickshire um, and left last year. He signed at Sussex. You wouldn't have heard of him, but his name's Aaron Thomason. Um, always a big, big rival. Like, if I play against him, um, cricket, whatever sport, he's always fiercely competitive when he was at Warwickshire. If he was playing table tennis, if he was playing football, he always wanted to be the best. He always wanted to outdo each other. Um, so I'd say him, yeah, he's at Sussex now. Um, but, yeah, I'd say him. He, um, no, I played with Aaron as a, as a kid, much younger, and you could always tell he was up for a scrap whenever you played even like warm-up football. Um, I don't know, for me, I think you, you named them earlier, North Middlesex, who beat us for the title last year, we've got a bit of bad blood with, because we, they, um, we, one of our batsmen, opening batsmen, went down to sweep one, and it just sort of like hit his pad and rolled off, and whatever, and the ball was just next to him, and he's picked, bent down, picked the ball up, and just chucked it to their keeper so that he can carry on with the game. And they've gone through with an appeal, and he's been given out handled ball. 
even though he was just passing the ball back to their keeper to be a good bloke. So there's always a bit of bad blood when we play them because of that. So we're going to we're going to carry that on to the next question, which is going to be which team do you always hate and why? It could be you know you hate them because it's a fierce rivalry against a particular team, or you just hate going to that location because it's that location. Um, Yorkshire. Whenever we play Yorkshire away, it's always um, always tough. Like they, they always have a good turnout for the. You know, we talked about championship games in particular. Obviously, 2020 as well, it's always busy and you just always get a lot of abuse, a lot of abuse. Whether you're playing at Headingley, obviously the main ground, but sometimes they play at an outground called Scarborough. Um, yeah, yeah, another one. Yeah, fans really close to the pitch there. And it's always a venue you just know you're always going to get nailed if you're out on the boundary. So I'd have to say Yorkshire probably. And, 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 I, imagine when you, and I imagine when you go down there, everyone there sounds like Jeffrey Boycott. Oh yeah, all in that accent, all all abused. Yeah, when you're on the boundaries, it's never the yeah. never the nicest place to go. I'd also say um, you, uh, there's a couple of times I've seen you because um, Yorkshire was where I went to university, and uh, there was one particular year where I think I left Matt and a couple of the others at two a.m. and we'd all had a fair few things to drink, and then they went and uh, played the next morning at ten a.m. against Ryan Sidebottom. So that probably didn't help the uh, the old Yorkshire away situation. He's, he's an angry, angry man, Ryan Sidebottom. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, when I see him, the first thought that comes to my mind is you're trying to be Pete, um, Roger Daltrey, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, the hair is questionable. <laughs> yeah, very questionable. There was a few grounds out at, when we were playing at Ringer that I didn't like going to just because, you know, they were so open and far away. That like Burwood's not a great one. Oh, I think, like, Auburn, I think it was. It's right by the road, that main road. Oh. Um, yeah, there's a place. So, east. Where's the one that's real far inland? It's stinking. It might be east, I think. No, not east. West, is it? Or, I don't know. I can't remember. Oh, uh, Mounties. Was. Mounties. At a Greenway yeah. Park. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one, yeah. I remember it was hot. really hot. It was so hot. No wind. Yeah. No, I know the that one there. Oh look, I've I've always got stories to tell about what it's what it's been like playing out at Auburn. Sometimes, um, you know, from car crashes happening to gunfire across the road. I'm not <laughs> kidding. And one particular game where Garth Mangan won the toss and decided to bat on a raging green top, and we were all out for 91. I somehow top scored with 43. <laughs> uh, it must have been rubbish that day then. Oh well, they kept bowling. <laughs> As you know, Chris, they, 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 the only thing you should never do to me during an actual game, and that's bowl short. Yeah. So um, so during the middle of that game, the kids walked down on the field, told, walked up to them, told them to get off the field, and one of them pulled a flick knife. Jesus Christ. Like only in Auburn. That's what you get when you go, you go out west, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, number 20. Number 20, which sports personality would you nominate to next drop and give us 20? Who should who should put be put through the ringer on this great segment? Oh, I've got a good one that Matt might have. A um, good friend of ours who um, actually lived with us for a few weeks out in uh, in Sydney, um, played rugby, knows um, Jake Aquino really well. Uh, I think he'd be a good value. A guy called Cal Young who came down to ringer a few times when we were out there. Another English guy, a good friend of Matt's home. Um, and, and if you do get him on, you should ask him about some of his exploits at the Ivanhoe and the Wharf Bar on a Sunday. <laughs> Carol uh, Young. So, I like that. Yeah. He has a few yeah. stories to tell, that's for sure. Yeah, he'd, he'd, be, he'd be good value on there. I'm going to go. You've got to get Rosie on here, mate. Rosie or get, has Jake Aquilina done it? Get Jake Aquilina on. As a, as a oh, no. Well, Matt, 
Aqua Aqua actually hosts these days, so uh, it would have to be Rosie. Get Rosie, on, Rosie mate. I want to know, know some value. Yeah, I want him to do this. He'll be good value. Oh, right. have a good Mad Monday, Mad Monday story from Rosie would be pretty yeah, good, wouldn't they? Mad Monday. Indeed. Well, that is uh, full time here on Splinters. I want to thank our special guest, Matt Lamb and Chris Beaumont Dark. Thank you so much for joining us, guys, and hope you managed to get through the whole um, pandemic in time for cricket to start. Thanks, well, thanks. Thanks very much for having us. I hope everyone's staying indoors, staying safe. Absolutely. That is uh, full time here on Splinters, the Bench Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we hope to hear you right here once again on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au, available for download on podcast.com, uh, Apple Store, Google Play, TuneIn app, and all good app locations. This is Anthony Bull Carew wishing you all a very good evening, or in the case of our two gentlemen here, a very good morning. Mm-hmm.